You are now listening to the February 27th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, a sermon, and divine intervention. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston with Story of Kings. Today, we'll share the story of Azariah, the 10th king of Judah. King Azariah is more commonly known to us by the name Uzziah. His records can be found in 2 Kings chapter 15, verses 1 to 7, and 2 Chronicles chapter 26. In 2 Kings, the name Azariah is used instead of Uzziah. That means the Lord helped him. The name Uzziah is used in 2 Chronicles, and that means the Lord is my strength. It is not clear why the Bible uses two names to refer to the same person. But one explanation offered by the biblical scholars is that Azariah might have been a nickname used for young Uzziah. For instance, While his father Amaziah reigned over Judah, he was known as Azariah, but the name Uzziah was then used upon his father's death when he became king over Judah. Another explanation is that during the time Azariah was king, there was a priest whose name was also Azariah, and the name Uzziah was used to prevent confusion between the two. For us, To tell the story of the tenth king of Judah, we will adopt the name Uzziah used in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. This name comes from the book of Chronicles, and these books were written with the kings of Judah as the main focus. So, it is befitting for us to use the name from Chronicles. As we mentioned, Uzziah was the son of Amaziah, the ninth king of Judah. From last week, We know that the Bible assessed that Amaziah did right in the sight of God, but was not like David, his forefather. We share that in the early years of his reign, Amaziah was a king who obeyed God's law and a king who repented and turned back to God when he was warned of his mistakes. But in his later years, he became proud and forgot that God had been with him. He refused the word of God and eventually he was handed over to the enemy and died in the hands of his conspirators. Uzziah was enthroned as the tenth king of Judah, succeeding his father Amaziah. The Bible records that he was 16 years of age when he sat in the throne. To clarify, this does not mean that he started to reign over Judah on his own at the age of 16. It means he started to rule over Judah along with his father Amaziah, when he became 16 years old. During this time, Amaziah and Uzziah jointly ruled over Judah. The Bible tells us that like his father Amaziah, Uzziah also did what was right in the eyes of God. He sought God during the days of prophet Zechariah. 
As a side note, we should not be confused with this Zechariah and the other well-known prophet named Zechariah who wrote the book of Zechariah. They are two different people in different times. The Bible tells us that Uzziah listened to the word of God through the prophet Zechariah in his early years. He sought God, and for that, God made him prosperous. Unfortunately, however, Uzziah did not remove the high places, just as his forefathers had failed to do, and allowed his people to continue to offer sacrifices and burn incense on the high places. How God helped Uzziah prosper during the time when he sought the Lord are recorded in detail in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2 and verses 6 to 16. Once he started to reign on his own, the first thing Uzziah did was to restore Eleth into a fortress for Judah. Eleth was located on the northern seashore along the Gulf of Aqaba and was important for trades. Edom and Judah had been engaged in fierce battles to take control over this place. Judah had initially lost the city to Edom. Uzziah then fought back and regained Eleth. He rebuilt it and annexed it into the cities of Judah. Beyond that, Uzziah led successful military campaigns all around and in the eastern, western, and southern borders of Judah. The walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod, as recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 6, were important cities of the Philistines in southeast of Jerusalem, and Uzziah fought against the Philistines to take those cities, and when he won, he proceeded to build cities of Judah in those areas. Also, as indicated in verse 7, Uzziah won wars against the Arabians, who lived in Gerbal, and the Munites, the nomads, who lived in the land of Edom. Even further, verse 8 records that the Ammonites, who were the descendants of Lot, living east of the Jordan River, gave tribute to Uzziah. Uzziah became very strong, and his fame extended beyond the borders of Egypt. In the following verse, verse 9, we are told of the gates and the corner. They indicate the cardinal points north, east, south, and west. The corner gate was in the northwest, the valley gate was in the southwest, and the corner buttress was in the east of Jerusalem. We can see how Uzziah built and fortified towers around Jerusalem. Stories about Uzziah and his might are detailed in verses 10 to 15. He became plentiful to the extent that he was now cultivating the hinterland to raise livestock and to plant grains. Also, he had an elite army of 307,500 soldiers, and they were all armed with new weapons. So Uzziah was a force to be reckoned with, by the nations around him. Naturally, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 7 to 15, the reason why Uzziah was able to become so strong and live in peace with other neighboring countries that would have otherwise been hostile was because God was with him. 
Uzziah experienced God's grace and were blessed to receive his help. When he sought after God, his nation became strong and he enjoyed the respect of the surrounding countries. But unfortunately, Uzziah became proud and began to falter spiritually. With his heart filled with false pride, as if all his accomplishments were his own doing, he committed sin in the sight of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16-21 to 21 records his evil deed. His pride peaked out when he tried to assume the role of interfacing God that had been reserved for the priests. As we know, according to the law, the only ones who could burn incense to God were the priests who were the descendants of Aaron. But Uzziah ignored the law and tried to burn the incense himself. Perhaps Uzziah thought he was closer to God than the priests or simply he thought he was better than the priests. Regardless of the reason, there he was, about to conduct an act reserved for the priests in defiance of the law. Azariah the priest, who had the same name as Uzziah, entered the temple of the Lord with eighty priests and tried to stop him. Azariah told Uzziah that he had been unfaithful and that God would not be glorified. Even after hearing this warning, Uzziah did not correct himself, but rather he became angry. Instead of realizing his wrongdoing and seizing his rebellious act, Uzziah proceeded with conducting the priestly work himself. So God rendered his judgment against Uzziah right there and then. Something broke out on Uzziah's forehead in front of the priests. It was leprosy, an abominable disease. When the high priest Azariah and all the other priests saw what had happened, they hurried Uzziah out of the temple of the Lord. It was because a leprous person could not enter the temple of the Lord. Uzziah hastened to get out of the temple of the Lord, realizing that God had struck him. The Bible records that Uzziah was cut off from the house of the Lord from the day he became a leper until the day of his death. Also, he lived in a separate house and was removed from all official duties. His son Jotham governed Judah in his place. Uzziah died after eight years. The Bible does not tell us how Uzziah lived out the eight remaining years from the time he became a leper. The Bible only records that he could not be buried in the tombs of the kings because he was a leper. He was buried in the gravesite next to the tombs of the kings. Uzziah sought God and followed his instructions. He experienced God's grace and enjoyed the prosperity God gave him. However, in his later life, he became obstinate because of his own pride, and he no longer wanted to hear God's voice. In fact, it is ironical that he deserted God when he became plentiful and peaceful. Although he started out great, Uzziah eventually did evil in the end, just as his father Amaziah did. We hope that the story of Uzziah will be a lesson for all of us. This concludes today's episode. 
We will continue on with the story of Kings next time. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Miter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is David Looks to the God. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Which we're focusing on what should be the response of Christians when God turns our world upside down. And let's face it, that's what has happened with COVID-19. Our world has been turned upside down, literally the whole world. And so we're all living in this new reality. So here's the deal. When our world is turned upside down, one of the first questions that comes to our mind is, why did God allow this to happen? It's inevitable. Um, It's inevitable that we have this question come up. And it's a legitimate question. God, what are you doing? Again, when it happened to Job, he had no idea why God had turned his world upside down. Now, here's the deal. This is a loaded question on so many levels, and I could spend weeks unpacking it. But today I want to focus on just one reason why God sometimes allows our world to get turned upside down, biblically speaking. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to cut right to this point, and here it is. One of the main reasons that God often allows our world to get turned upside down is so that we will call upon him, so that we will call upon him. I think a great example of this is seen in what happened during 9-11. You all remember 9-11. It was a time in which our country was hit by terrorists and our world was turned upside down. Not just the people of this country, literally the whole world was affected by this on some level. Everyone heard about it. And on some level, I think pretty much everybody was affected by it. It was a time in which our world was turned upside down. But what was really interesting is that immediately following those uh, planes hitting the towers was that church attendance spiked. Church attendance spiked. All across this country, people started flooding into churches. They began to call upon the Lord and seek him. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Now, it didn't last forever. As a matter of fact, one Duke professor did a study and he said that spike in church attendance really only lasted a couple of weeks. But regardless, it was a wonderful thing to see people flooding into the house of God, seeking him with humbled hearts. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. Now, I have no doubt that is what is happening right now with the COVID virus. I believe that many people across our country and literally around the world are seeking God in a fresh new way. Our world has been turned upside down and people are now looking to the Lord again, looking for answers. And um, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, throughout the Bible, God would often turn people's worlds upside down so that they would seek him and call upon him. This is, again, one of the key reasons that he does this. Let me give you an example. In Joshua chapter seven, the Israelites are go into battle. They go into battle and they lose. They lose badly. And as a result, their world is turned upside down. But listen to what the scriptures say in Joshua chapter seven. It says, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel. That's incredible. Their world got turned upside down And the leadership of Israel immediately sought the Lord. Now, our worlds can get turned upside down for any number of reasons. But perhaps there is 
no more of a gut-wrenching way to have your world turned upside down than when somebody close to you hurts you. When somebody you love, somebody you trust hurts you. And in particular, when somebody betrays you, when somebody close to you betrays you, when somebody, again, you love, trust, care about, turns their back on you, turns out to be somebody that you can't trust. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a brother or sister in Christ, someone in leadership, or just somebody that you have always trusted. Again, when betrayal happens, it's gut-wrenching. It's hard. It brings such heartache. But here's the deal. It is not altogether uncommon at all. As a matter of fact, many of the great men in the Bible experience betrayal. One that comes to my mind is King David. King David was betrayed in a very significant way. And we read about that in the book of Psalms. Now, if you know anything about David, King David, you know that when you rise to become a king of a nation, then you're going to have your fair share of enemies. It's when you, uh, again, get into the political realm, when you become a king, you're going to have enemies. It doesn't matter how great a king you are, you're going to have people that don't like you. And that's exactly what happened to David. As a matter of fact, many of the Psalms document the heartache that David had because his enemies were pursuing him and were after him. And so you can read the Psalms and it's like, oh, Lord, protect me from my enemies and help me in, in the midst of my pain as they pursue me. But there is one Psalm in which David doesn't express heartache over an enemy that is after him. His heartache is over a friend, a close friend, who has betrayed him. And as you will see in this psalm, when David is betrayed by this friend, his world is turned upside down. It is turned upside down. So we read about this in Psalm 55. So church, it is my honor to take us to the word of God this morning. In Psalm 55, beginning in verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But now listen to this in verse 13. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. That's it. In these three simple verses, we get to see the heart of a man who's been betrayed by a friend. And not just any friend, a close friend. David is cut to the core. His world is turned upside down because of this. Now, I want you to notice what this passage says. Look what it says. David says this, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. See, if it were just an enemy that had done this to David, it would be bearable because it's expected. Enemies do these sorts of things. Look what else it says. It says, it is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. If it was somebody that was an enemy, somebody that was aggressive towards me, I could, uh, I could bear it. I could just hide from that person and it would be no big deal. Isn't that so true? It's so true. The sting of betrayal it means so much more when it comes from a friend or somebody close to us than from an enemy or somebody that we would expect to betray us. So David is just torn to his heart over this. When somebody that you love betrays you, it opens up a whole new world of hurt and heartache. 
when an enemy betrays you, it may shake your foundation a little bit. Let's face it. Whenever you're betrayed, your foundation is going to be shaken a little bit. But when it is a close friend who betrays you, that's when your world will be turned upside down. Now, David doesn't identify who this person is. It would have been cool if he did, if he names, but he doesn't. But he does tell us a few things about this person in this passage. Look at what our passage says. He is my equal, my companion, and a familiar friend. So let me stop and ask everyone listening this morning. Have you ever had somebody who you considered your equal, your companion, somebody that you uh, considered a familiar friend betray you? If you have, then I bet that you can relate to this passage today. David also says that this was somebody that he had taken sweet counsel with and had walked within God's house with this person. David most likely worshiped with this person at one point in his life. Truly incredible. A little bit later in this psalm, David gives us more insight into this betrayal. Listen to these words. It starts in verse 20 and goes to verse 21. He says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they, they were a drawn sword. They were like a drawn sword. That's just incredible. Just incredible. Look what it says. There was war in his heart and his words were as a drawn sword. That describes what it feels like when somebody that you trust betrays you. Again, David's totally hurt by this. His world is turned upside down. Now, here's where it gets interesting. One of the things that you always want to do when you read the Old Testament is remember that the Old Testament points us to the New Testament. And the people that we read about in the Old Testament point us forward to one person in the New Testament, and that is Jesus Christ. So what that means is David's betrayal by a close friend, points us forward to Christ and a time in which Christ would be betrayed by someone close to him. And of course, that should immediately ring a bell in all of our minds because Jesus had somebody close to him that betrayed him. One of his own disciples, of course, it was Judas. And we read about this in Luke 22. Look what it says. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd And the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Again, Judas was one of the 12. He was close to Jesus. He had spent three years with him. Jesus had cared for him, loved him, shared the gospel with him, broke bread with him. And yet Judas, for a few silver coins, betrays the son of man. Now, let's not forget, all of the other disciples on the night that Jesus was arrested, they abandoned Jesus as well. So Jesus knew the sting of betrayal literally from all of his disciples on some level. That is incredible. Jesus knew the sting of betrayal from Peter, from James and John. Those were the three disciples that were closest to Jesus. Now, this is very important, and here's why. When you are betrayed and feel that sting of betrayal, and you wonder, is there anyone that I can turn to who will understand me during this time? The answer is yes, there is. 
That is Jesus. No one will understand you better than Jesus. And that is why when you feel that sting of betrayal, the best thing you can do in that moment is call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Look to him and call upon his name because he knows what you're going through. Whether that betrayal has come from a spouse or from an employer, maybe you feel betrayed by the government. I don't know. We feel betrayal on all different types of levels. In that moment, you have an opportunity to turn to the one person who knows what that feels like more than anyone else, and that is our Lord and Savior. By the way, Christ, who had done nothing wrong, was betrayed on the worst type of level possible. When Jesus was betrayed by Judas, it resulted in him being arrested, humiliated, tortured, and ultimately crucified. Listen, there's not a person listening to me right now who has been betrayed on that level. I've never been betrayed on that level. So next time you're betrayed or you have that weight of being betrayed, you can turn to Jesus and know he knows what I am feeling and going through better than anyone else. You can call upon the Lord and know that he understands better than anyone else. Which, by the way, is exactly what King David does in Psalm 55. So what I want to do is I want to go back to Psalm 55. And I want us to look again at David's words. Look at what he says, beginning in verse 16. He says, but I call to God. In the moment of his deepest hurt, when a friend has betrayed him, he calls to the Lord, but I call to God. And the Lord will save me, evening and morning and at noon. I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. It's in this passage that we learn one of the most important things that you could ever do when your world is turned upside down. And that is call upon the name of the Lord. That is exactly what David did. And that is exactly what you and I need to do. Remember that Noah obeyed and Jonah endured patiently. But it was David who called upon the Lord in his time of deepest hurt. He called upon the Lord. It's no wonder that David is called a man after God's own heart. His heart beat for the Lord. And again, when his world's turned upside down, he turns to the Lord. As a matter of fact, look what verse um, 17 says. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and I moan. When David's world is turned upside down, where do we find him? We find him before the throne of God. We find him calling upon the name of the Lord. And it makes me think, when my world is turned upside down, where will people find Bill? Where will they find me? Will they find me turning to sports to find my relief? Or to something of this world? Or will people find me pursuing the Lord and calling upon the Lord? And there's a very important spiritual principle here. And here it is. And this may be one of the most important things I say today. So get this. The best place to be when you are in pain is in the presence of the Lord. Let me say that again. The best place to be when you are in pain, when your world has been turned upside down, is in the presence of the Lord. 
Now notice what David says in this passage. He says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and I moan. But listen to this. And he hears my voice. David had full confidence that God was listening, that God was there for him in his time of need. When David's world gets turned upside down, he runs straight to the Lord and he has no doubt God will be listening. God is here. He's my strength. He's my refuge. If I turn to him, he will always be there. Listen, you can turn to the things of this world. They may not always be there for you. You can turn to the people of this world. They may not always be there for you. But when you call upon the name of the Lord, you can be certain he will always be there for you. See, there's a temptation when our world is turned upside down. When our world is turned upside down, the temptation is then to turn to the things of this world. That's the irony. When our world is turned upside down, the temptation is to turn to the things of this world. But folks, the things of this world cannot offer you what you will find when you turn to the Lord. When you turn to the Lord, you will find somebody who is always there for you, who understands perfectly what you're going through and will be a fortress for you. He will be a rock for you. He will be the sure foundation that you can put your feet on during that time. A little bit later in verse 22, David says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. David goes to the Lord and he calls upon the Lord and then he casts his burdens on the Lord. He just dumps everything there at the foot of the throne. Now, when I call upon the name of the Lord, I generally make one of two mistakes. And I bet you the two mistakes that I generally make are mistakes that you make. And the first mistake that I make when I call upon the Lord is that I go before the Lord and I make my burden known to him, but I don't actually cast my burden on him. I don't actually do it. I don't cast my burden on the Lord. I tell him about it. I make him aware of it, but I don't actually cast my burden on him. And I think that I do that deep down because I think deep down that I'll do a better job at fixing what has been turned upside down than you, God. So you can be made aware of it, but I'll stay in charge of it. And so I do this, and it's, it's crazy that I do. But listen, making the Lord aware of your burden is not the same thing as casting it on him. So the first thing, the first mistakes you want, want to avoid is bring your burden to the Lord and cast it upon him. Now, the second mistake that I tend to make is that I bring my burden to the Lord and I cast it upon him only to take it back later. And I know many of you that are listening to me right now can, you understand what I'm talking about here. I will take my burden to the Lord and I'll give it to him. Sometimes for 24 hours, sometimes for 48 hours. When I'm really strong, it'll be 72 hours, but somewhere in that time, it doesn't take long. Sometime, somewhere in that three-day period, I will take it back. And I'll say, Lord, thanks for looking after this for me for this short time. But this burden, it's mine. And I need it back. And again, I think deep down, I'll do a better job at fixing what has been turned upside down than the Lord will. But folks, I have to, and you have to, we've got to bring our burdens to the Lord, cast them there. And here's the key, we must leave them there. You know, a lot of times when it doesn't feel like God is sustaining me, it's simply because I'm not doing what this verse tells me to do. I haven't called upon the name of the Lord and brought my burdens to him and put them at the throne and left them there. 
I've called upon the Lord. I've made my burdens known to him, but then I've taken those burdens back and I'm trying to deal with them myself. I'm trying to right my world, get it back to normal instead of trusting in the Lord. Folks, the very best thing that you can do when your world is turned upside down is go into the presence of the Lord, cast your burdens there and leave them there. Leave them there. That is what David did. Now, it's also significant to notice what David didn't do. David didn't take matters into his own hands. He didn't. Now, if I were David, I would have, if somebody had betrayed me that was close to me, I would have retaliated first and then asked for forgiveness later. And before any of you judge me, I know that many of you probably would have done the exact same thing. David, however, goes straight to the Lord. He goes to the Lord, he calls upon the Lord, he brings his burdens to the Lord, he casts them at the foot of the throne and he leaves them there. You know, David knew and kept at the front of his mind what we so often easily forget. And it's this, God will do a better job of holding people accountable than you and I ever will. When I'm betrayed by somebody, I want them to be held accountable. And I want them to be held accountable immediately. But the best thing I can do is put it in God's hands and wait. Knowing that God will do a far better job of holding people accountable than I ever will. As a matter of fact, David says this uh, a little later in verse 23. He says, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Look at those first couple of words, but you, O God. He doesn't say David's going to take care of it. He says, you, O God, will take care of these men that have betrayed me. These wicked men who have turned their back on me and who have war in their heart, whose words are like swords. You, O God, will take care of these men. By the way, we see this same principle being played out in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." Listen, it's just a matter of time before your world and my world is turned upside down because someone close to us hurts us. Maybe they betray us. Maybe they say something about us that we don't agree with, that is untrue or whatever it might be. In that moment, our worlds are gonna be turned upside down. But it's in that moment when our worlds are turned upside down that we have a critical decision to make. Will we turn to the things of this world and look to the things of this world to sustain us or will we call upon the name of the Lord? Will we call upon the name of the Lord? Remember, the best place to be when you're in pain is in the presence of the Lord. The best place to be when your world is turned upside down is to be in the presence of the Lord. When the people of this world prove to be untrustworthy, turn to the one who is always trustworthy, who understands what you're going through and will sustain you. He will be your rock and your foundation. So the next time you feel that your world has been turned upside down, remember what David says in verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord 
and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Hey, I hope this message was encouraging to you. Would you pray with me? Well, gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that in his time of turmoil, when David's world was turned upside down, he turned to you. Where was David to be found? But in the presence of the Lord. And God, may that be true of everyone listening to me right now. When our world is turned upside down, may we be found to be in the presence of the Lord, seeking you, calling upon you, casting our burdens upon you. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you always understand what we go through as your children. So God, we commit this day to you, our week to you. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.
Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries has the opportunities for anyone to volunteer in editing, producing the program, or even reviewing the broadcasts at our office. You don't have to be an expert. We are excited to teach anyone that is willing to learn. If you are interested in learning how to be an editor, producer, or even a reviewer, please contact us at 602-866-8999 or email us at heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. The following program is called Divine Intervention. Hello, everyone. Last week, we shared a story about David's anger and emotion towards the ungrateful Nabal. Today, we'll share what happened to David, who was running towards Nabal and leading 400 of his armed men to annihilate the males in the household. This is the next story continuing from last week. In today's Divine Intervention, we'll be meeting Nabal's wife, Abigail. Today's title is Apples of Gold and Settings of Silver. The woman appeared at that moment. When David and his men were almost at the bottom of the mountain slope, on the opposite side of the path, a woman was riding on a donkey. When the woman saw David, she urgently got off the donkey. She ran to David and bowed to him with her face on the ground. My Lord David, please turn this sin to me and listen to the servant's words. I am Nabal's wife, Abigail. My husband is foolish and misbehaving. Do not listen to what he said. If I only knew about this situation sooner, I wouldn't have disappointed my Lord. Everything is my fault. The woman stopped on the path she was going in a hurry and bowed at David's feet. She continued to speak cordially without her face leaving the ground. I know very well how your fellows protected Nabal's men and the sheep. However, we have said absurd remarks and paid back evil for good, even though my Lord has protected life and wealth. We deserve to die. The woman did not make any excuses. She admitted all faults. David felt the sincerity of the woman's word, had no pretense or civility, and listened intently to her words. My Lord, 
You are God's servant, anointed by oil. You are someone who must fight for God. Everything you do is God's work. Your hand must not be stained with blood to pay back for grudge and resentment. Right now, God is keeping you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. What? The moment David heard Abigail's word, he became captivated. David was breathing fast and thought about what the woman just said. The Lord is keeping me from bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hands? God is stopping me. Yes, that is so. At that moment, an uncertain emotion was felt in the deep part of David's heart. Yes, what this woman said is right. God sent this woman to stop me. Yes. It was then David realized that from the moment the incident with Nabal happened until now, he did not think of God once. David realized he didn't think once about discussing this matter with God. Without him knowing, David listened more intently to the woman's wisdom. As David was listening intently, the woman continued to speak in a calmer manner. My Lord, God will surely let this nation rise again through you. Even though Saul's men are pursuing to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as stones from a sling. The woman firmly believed that God would make David king. Through David, she realized that God is working even now to fulfill that covenant. Abigail was assured that God was working through David and he was keeping and protecting him. When the woman said the words, bundle of the living, David felt indescribable sense of security. It felt as though he was being embraced in God's arm. He imagined his enemy's lives being hung by sling stones and hurled away. It seemed like the pure and passionate faith of his young ears when he shouted, In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies, and ran towards the enemy. Goliath was coming alive again. David's heart was soon overwhelmed with courage and faith of his young ears that had been forgotten. While he was listening to the woman, it seemed like God was patting his back and comforting him. My Lord David, when the Lord has fulfilled every good thing he promised concerning you and has appointed you ruler of this nation, I hope my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself when you become king. Each of the woman's words permeated into the deep part of David's heart. David was shaken, but now it was a moment when his calling and identity were made anew. David thought about what would have happened if it wasn't for this woman who was bowed before him. Have I lost my mind? Why did I overreact like this? Was this incident so serious enough to kill one household and all its members? David was dejected as he was thinking about his incomprehensible and uncontrollable emotion of anger. 
The woman felt like David found peace in his heart, and she quietly got up and greeted David again. Her prominent forehead, clear sparkling eyes, and proper attire made Abigail appear as a wise and virtuous woman at one glance. David was in awe once more as he looked into the eyes of this woman who bowed at his feet and expressed utmost respect. David experienced the living God again through Abigail and was certain that God was with him now. Dear listeners, the woman Abigail we met today was a very wise and intelligent woman. Each of her words seemed to come from the position of the person she's talking to as if she could read the person's heart. These words of comfort and encouragement seem to be the language of healing. Abigail was a woman who deeply knew God, God's will, and God's kingdom. She was a woman who wasn't shaken by the world's trend, but obeyed according to God's providence. She had a pure spirituality and discernment. She was a beautiful woman of faith who revered God. Therefore, even though she was in a pressing situation where her life could have been in danger if she took the wrong approach, she was able to boldly and clearly say the correct words to David with courage. From the start, Abigail admitted her fault without excuses. This is a very important first step in bettering the relationship. Abigail was a wise person who first put out the fire of anger that was in David and then calmly went on to the next step. Each of her words gave such great comfort and strength to David. Abigail's sincere words became the strength to move David's heart. Abigail was truly God's person who was sent to David by God. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 11 says, A word spoken in right circumstances is like apples of gold in settings of silver. That's right. A wise word spoken in right circumstances can save me and others. Dear beloved listeners, Are the words we say today in Nabal's language where the words set fire in others' hearts, or in Abigail's language, that save lives. I want us to think about this. I want us to speak words that save lives. I want us to send a message of healing and restoration. Abigail was an outstanding woman who saved many lives. This was a precious encounter in David's life. I hope you will meet many wise people like Abigail during your spiritual journey. Also, I hope that you will be an Abigail to someone and be a blessing. This was Terry from Divine Intervention. May you find peace in the Lord during the week. Tempter will be
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.